Hello, everyone. This is Martin Hughes speaking. Welcome to another episode of the show where I get to cover NFT projects doing interesting things within the space. For today's episode, my guests are Alex Sanchez and Tom O'Malley. They have been working on an absolutely fantastic 100% full-term blue agave mezcal called La Leyenda, which won the double gold medal in 2021 SF1 and Spirits Blind Competition. That's a really big deal. They are launching the Spirit as an NFT project where the only way to buy the bottle is to hold the token itself. If you know little or are an amateur tequila slash mezcal drinker like myself, you'll get to learn a lot from the deep knowledge that these two have. And if you're an aficionado, you'll get to appreciate the craft and passion that goes into this product. Don't want to take up too much more time as I want to dive right into the talk that I had with these fantastic founders. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Alex and Tom from La Leyenda. All right. Hello, guys. We have Alex Sanchez and Tom O'Malley here today. Welcome to the show. Hey, Martin. Thank you. So I wanted to start with a question. It might seem benign and simple, but uh, to me, I, I think to the audience, too, it would be very relevant. What's the difference between a mezcal and a tequila? Mm. Yeah, it's probably one of the most misunderstood uh, or unknown answers, to be honest. Um, so uh, first and foremost, a, uh, a tequila is a mezcal. So any agave plant grown in, uh, or I'm sorry, beverage produced from an agave plant in Mexico is considered a mezcal. Uh, so the question is really what makes tequila a unique mezcal? And so a couple things need to be true. One, it needs to be from a designated uh, tequila region. So you're only talking about uh, a small handful of uh, places within Mexico that are designated tequila regions. It also needs to be 100% blue agave. And I'm going to come back, I'm going to put an asterisk next to that, that it needs to be coming from blue agave. And then the third thing is that it's in the preparation process, after they pull the bulbs uh, called piñas out of the ground, they steam them as opposed to, to um, fire, burn them or cook them or roast them. Mm. Um, and so all of the tequilas have those three things in common. Their base product is blue agave. They're from this region and they're steamed rather than, rather than cooked. Now, the asterisk I find really interesting. In fact, I recently just learned about this from Alex, but Alex, maybe you can share about the, uh, the percentage requirement for tequilas to use the uh, blue agave. Yeah, that's very interesting because not many people know about this. And uh, the normas in Mexico says that to be called tequila from the region, you can use at least 51% of blue agave and the rest can be sugar cane alcohol. That's why some tequilas, when you drink them and when you shoot them, you will get a, a fantastic headache the next day. So for mezcal, on the other hand, to be called mezcal, you have to use, the Nordness says that you have to use 100% of the agave plant. You cannot add any external alcohol into it. Right. So that's why mezcal, in certain way, it's a pure beverage, and that's why then tequila started making one hundred. That's why they, they put one hundred percent blue agave now because it stands out. They're telling you we're not using other alcohols. Mm -hmm. From what you were saying, is the the piña? Is that is that what it's called? That's the well, uh, yeah. Imagine uh, imagine a, a, a big spiny. Uh, aloe plant is what it looks like, right? 
And okay. uh, that thing is, uh, when it's fully matured, is uh, a couple meters tall. So it's as tall as I am and, and just as wide. And so one of the first things the, uh, in the process when they go to harvest them is they cut off all those spines, right? So the humidor, as he's called, is slicing off all of those uh, sharp spines. And what's left is this bulb that sits predominantly above ground, kind of half of, you know, maybe 60% above ground, 40% under the ground. And it's that bulb that gets pulled out and is then the juice mm. is extracted and, and then fermented. The main difference between tequila and mezcal is that tequila, you steam it. Yeah. So right from that very first step, after they pull it out of the ground, uh, they, uh, they cut it. And then um, the steamers will put it into this uh, steaming facility that is, gosh, it's as long as a truck. You know, some of these steamers are just huge cylinders and they close on both ends and they use high pressure and heat to cook them. The alternative, you can imagine if you're a, uh, a farmer, you, you probably don't have a, an industrial grade steamer. So a lot of the craft products are, you know, the farmers, what they'll do is just put them in a pile and, mm. um, and cook them. And so, you know, you need that heat to break down uh, the plant and to activate the chemical process. So after they, they cook them while they're steamed or roasted, they then get um, macerated and mulched and, you know, squeezed for all their juice. Okay. And that's why like mezcal usually from common knowledge is that it will be more smoky than a tequila, right? Yeah. Cause um, they, you know, mezcals tend to be very much still a craft product. So, um, you know, you know, all of the tequila region has gotten so, you know, big business, but mezcals are still very artisan. Yeah, very artisan. Exactly. Um, and, you know, they, they use different varieties of plant. There's they grow in a wide variety of climates in different regions of the country. So it's just a lot more variance in, in, in a mezcal. Why don't we dive into the specifics of what La Leyenda as a brand will represent in terms of like the mezcal, the liquid that you guys will produce and uh, just go through the process of, of how that differs from other mezcals and also maybe how it actually gets close to a tequila, even though it's not legally called a tequila just because of the region? That's a very good question, Martin. And let me start by saying that the, the market is flooded with a lot of brands of tequilas and mezcals right now. And uh, to be honest with you, we are a very, very small distillery. For you to know and for your audience to know, most of the brands, they have contracts with the distilleries and one distillery makes like 160, 180, 200 different brands on the same distillery. And they're distilling like 10,000 liters a day. That's why we wanted to differentiate. We partner with, uh, with our distillery, which is also my, from my wife's side, is my brother-in-law. Uh, he's marrying uh, my, my wife's sisters. And so the, the business is seen within the family. And they do not make any other brand but ours. So that's, that makes, makes us unique, special. And we really take care of the whole process because the ranch, the plants, and the distillery are in the same place. They do not travel. We don't, we don't extract the, the liquid and then distill in, in another location. Everything is done in the same place. That's why it's so special, unique, and the quality stays where it belongs. I mean, where, where it all started. We don't take it apart and bring it to s several other locations 
to make the beverage. Mm-hmm. And that's why the quality that we're talking about, I mean, there's no, no many other that can do the same as we are doing. Same location, same family, same plants, and they grow the full term, which is seven years. They take seven years to make the batch of uh, what we're talking about. And then we start over. But we don't have to wait seven years to keep growing. I mean, plantation is divided like grapes. Like, this is the year, and, and then a second year, third year, fourth, fifth. You're taking, when they pull mature at seven years, then you harvest. So let's say when you talk about seven years, that's the full time that it takes for an agave plant to be mature enough to produce the mezcal. Now, is there a difference between something like a Blanco, Reposado, and Añejo? Is there a difference between how long you let that plant grow? No, there's no difference. The, 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 you, you grow the plant seven years, you take it out, you distill it, and you make the Blanco. That's the first distillation. Well, actually, we do two distillations. Then, if you want to age that mezcal, you put it into barrels, white oak barrels, and you let them rest for at least six months to be called reposado and 24 months to be called añejo. And we have another category, which is extra añejo, which right now is being aged and it's about seven years aged right now. Wow. And it's a very, very small batch. So Martin, there's a little bit more to um, the answer to the question that you, um, that you asked uh, Alex a moment ago, which is, you know, how do we compare and contrast with what's out there? Um, so I just wanted to uh, go back to that and touch on some key elements. So what's, what's important to know about La Leyenda and our approach to this is that, first of all, it's only grown five miles north of the tequila region. So we benefit from the geography in a serious way. I mean, when you go there, you physically look at the earth and it's got these deep red colors to it. And you just know that there's some magic in that soil because it's, it's from that region that all of the most fine uh, tequilas come from. So we compare, I'd say, in that regard. We're, we're, in the, we're also 100% blue agave, right? And we're also steaming it. So we compare to tequilas in a lot of ways. The contrast, however, is that we're, we're coming from, of course, the Mescal region, um, but... What Alex just described about this being a fully integrated small batch farm, meaning they grow the plant, they do their own distilling, and they do the bottling. That's very rare. In, in the tequila region, I'd, I'd wager that you'd struggle to find a facility that did all three things and focused on one product, as Alex is saying. So in that way, um, just to, to, to re-highlight that, we're very different. The other way that we're very different with mezcals is that we're steaming. So a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of these small farms, they don't have the steaming facilities. So this is sort of a gem, if you will. We're in the overall tequila area outside the border, of course. Uh, we're steaming 100% blue agave, but we're, we're using the artisan. We're using the, uh, the traditional ways of both planting, harvesting, and caring for through the distilling process and in the bottling process. Wow, that's fantastic. So, so uh, where exactly is that region? So if you, if you were to um, fly into Guadalajara, 
right, which is the largest city in Jalisco by a long shot. And you were to drive uh, about four hours directly north of there. You would cross the border into Zacatecas, which is the neighboring state. And you would go just about five miles into Zacatecas. And these are, of course, our uh, windy roads. So when I say five miles, that might be as the crow flies. But <laughs> you're still an hour away because <laughs> it's dirt roads. It's yeah, it's 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 not it's not easy to get to, to be to be frank. You, you mentioned at first that this was a family product. And from what wow. I've understood from um, a conversation that we've had before, was that initially this was just a, a mezcal that was produced within the family to be, you know, enjoyed at parties or all that stuff. It was never meant to be bottled and like shipped as a product. So how did the process come along for you to make the decision to share this gem with the whole world? Well, uh, as I was telling you, when, when I first came across this, this magnificent beverage, um, they do sell, but just locally. Right, they're not even in the region, in the total region. They're not even outside the state. They just were doing it as part of one part of their business, because the real business for that part of the family or, or the farmer is the agave plant itself. Because it has mm -hmm. been since the tequila has become more popular and popular, the tequila factories, the distilleries are buying agaves outside the denomination of origin outside of Jalisco. So just picture this, five years ago, the price of the kilo of the agave was about 50 cents, Mexican peso cents. And right now it's almost 45 pesos per kilo. Huge wow. growth and the demand is so huge. The business is let's sell the agave plant. That's another thing that is very interesting to us because we have to talk to the family and say, just save this parcel of, of plantation to grow the seven years because the temptation to sell before the seven years is very high. You can turn over the land two or three times faster if you sell a three years old plant instead of at seven years old. And we take care of the whole process and we integrate Nicolas, his, his name, the farmer, into the process, explain him all the all, whatever it has to be explained for him to keep waiting the seven years because they're very, they're very proud people. And they're saying that we wait seven years. So the drink that you're having is one of the best quality that you got, you're going to have. There's not many other brands that are doing the same. It's not at all about the money. It's about getting quality people, getting quality product to the real agave enthusiasts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think, Martin, what, what people need to understand about agave and how it's different than really every other spirit is that it takes that seven years to mature. And, you know, you think about grapes, you think about uh, whiskeys and ryes, right? Um, they're, they're coming from plants that, that come back every year. Vodka comes from, you know, potatoes. So what makes this industry truly unique is the fact that as opposed to fine whiskeys aging in a barrel, fine agaves need to age in the ground. And if you're a farmer and somebody's willing to pay you a hundred times what they paid your grandfather <laughs> per, per kilo, it's extremely tempting to cut that plant earlier. And think about it. The industry, when you think about what defines a tequila, we said it needs to have at least 51% agave. There's no rules as to how old the agave plant needs to be. So if you think about putting your thumb on the scale and changing the rules, 
yeah, these brands can say, oh, we're, we're blue agave. And some will say, oh, we're 100% blue agave. But what term I think we want to introduce into the, um, into the industry is, is full term. Yeah, are you full term 100% agave? Watch, watch how many people get quiet then. So anyway, uh, back to the, the point that um, Alex is making is that this, this farmer has been um, at this for, for six generations now. And if you think about that handing, receiving the farm from your, from your father who got it from your grandfather, there was a real consistent way that they did things. But this industry phenomenon is new. So it's pulling at the heart of farmers. Am I going to do it the way I was taught? Or am I going to sell my plants to market? Well, they got families to feed and they'd be silly if they didn't. But what some of the true artisans are doing is allocating certain amounts of their lot to still do it the right way. And that's what that's the quantity or capacity that we're tapping into. And it's through our project, the way that we're leveraging these NFTs. is So what we can do is incentivize the farmer to allocate more of that, that lot, uh, more of his crop for the full term agave. I love it. I mean, it's not only beneficial for the farmer, the artisan itself, but it's also beneficial for the person that's buying the product. Because, you know, if, if they, somebody buys La Leyenda bottles, they know that this is full term and you didn't cut the corner in terms of how you grow the agave. Because like you said, like, you know, not to bash on celebrity brands, but like, a lot of what they do also is they have great marketing and they use like very specific buzzwords sure. to make it seem like, oh, this is the best stuff ever. But again, everybody can say blue agave. Now, is it full term seven year blue agave? That's where it differs in the quality of the spirit and the liquid itself. You can almost parallel it with um, somebody picking green oranges, adding sugar and calling it orange juice. <laughs> you know, you can, you can tell the difference, right? Because mm. the complexities come with time and age. Thus, why we call the product legend. Um, La Leyenda means the legend. Legends don't cut corners. Legends are extremely authentic. They don't self-define, but you know one when you meet one. And, and that's, that's what we're trying to educate the market on is there's still a way to restore the, the creator in this economy, which is the farmer. And what we can do is we can leverage new technologies to enable the restoration of that, of that century old art. Right. And, and through these memberships that you're going to be minting, like the Blanco, Reposado and Añejo, I guess like you're, you're effectively capping the supply or should I say you're controlling how much demand there's going to be. Because the only way to get those bottles is through having the membership. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Um, but we're not controlling it just for the sake of controlling it. We are in limited capacity. And until we can, we can prove that there's a market there for, for higher quality, we can leverage that uh, to get more reserve from the, the farmer. So um, we're, in, in, we're adding a layer of incentive to increase capacity. And so I think that that's where, like you were saying, that's, that's the win-win, where over time, what we're able to do is move from, say, 10,000 bottles to 30,000 bottles to 100,000 bottles. Now, we do want to stay with this theme of vertically integrated, right, steamed, premium, full-term, 100% agave. And in order to do that, we're just going to have to be patient. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned growing that supply over time. Is it inside your vision that you will motivate or inspire other farmers to do the same in the sense that whenever they see the the repercussions or, or let's say just like they, they see the incentives of what you're laying down as groundwork with La Leyenda, 
they'll see that, okay, there's another option. I don't have to like flip my crop three times, you know, in, in five years or in six years, I can actually be someone that makes quality uh, or at least like makes full term agave for seven years. And I'm going to be properly compensated. Yeah, it's, it's an experiment for sure. Uh, but you can imagine until the consumer appreciates this concept of full term and is willing to pay a premium for it, you know, until that happens, that aha or that market or for that next farmer to walk through the door, it won't be possible. Or they'd have to go through the same challenge we are, which is educating the consumer. Right. Could you tell us what each token offers to the holder and how they differ from each other? Sure. So uh, La Leyenda is a NFT based project. And the reason, as we already talked about, is the reason why we're using this technology is to pull the liquidity forward in the process so we can reserve ahead of time. And so there's three different uh, NFTs that we're launching. One is, of course, uh, the Blanco. The other is the Reposado. And the final is the Añejo. The Blanco is... um, it's, it's the one that we have a larger supply of because it's not aged in the barrel. So we're bringing out 1,000 of these Blanco NFTs. And uh, what that'll allow people to do is, is access the bottle, uh, meaning be able to purchase the bottles. So clearly we're not selling alcohol with NFTs. This is a membership. It's a club. Um, being a part of the club gets you access to the online licensed retailer where people can go and buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the Blanco NFT, you'll be able to buy Blanco, uh, with the Reposado NFT, you'll be able to buy both Reposado and Blanco. And then with the Añejo NFT, you'll be able to buy all three. Now there are some other benefits in, in being a member, uh, besides just the bottles. Number one is we sell all mem- or we send all members, uh, a kit welcoming them to be part of the La Leyenda community. And there's some cool stuff in there. Uh, we'll be publishing uh, expectations of those kits here in the next couple of weeks, but we're, we're picking out some really cool items that people are going to be excited about that complement the whole theme that we're, you know, our whole argument or thesis, you might say. Um, the other cool thing that we're doing, particularly around the Añejo, is we're starting to build out a network of places, that is private club experiences, that uh, recognize it as a membership. So right now we've got three locations in LA and these clubs, uh, I'm wearing the hat of one of them right now. It's called Bike Shed Moto. This is a super high-end biker bar. It's in the art district of LA, which is like this totally um, re-renovating warehouse area. And um, anyway, it's just got a massive piece of property there. And inside, not only is there a phenomenal restaurant, but this handmade, big, large brass bar that goes all the way around. And um, in, this, uh, in this same facility, they've got a retail uh, place there where they're actually selling motorcycles, but also some of the top riding gear. They've also got nice. a tattoo parlor in there that features some of the world's best tattoo artists right out of like Miami Inc., you know, the TV series. Yep. And then finally, they've even got a barber shop. But I was really taken by the place when we're, I was walking through the back hallway and I accidentally pushed on the wall and it moved and it let me into this room, which is um, like a speakeasy behind the wall. They call it Tommy's. So that's where I was. I was taken. I knew it was destiny at that point where when I saw that bar. But yeah, so it's places like that. They just offer our members really unique experiences. Another place is going to be a speakeasy in Santa Monica, super high end place that's just got, again, just like hidden secrets inside. 
And then the other is a more approachable, call it burger joint, but it's um, it's white tablecloth uh, burger spot. And the NFT there will translate into a private menu. So we can do this like blending experiences, creating unique experiences for our members by partnering with clubs that are just impassioned by our, our, our motivation, which is let's do something unique. Let's make it a win for the farmer, a win for the restaurant, a win for the club or restaurant and uh, a win for the project. Very cool. And then are you thinking about expanding outside of LA eventually as it grows bigger? Yeah. So this, uh, this initial drop is the LA drop, right? And so we're going to prove this model here. Uh, and if this is successful, we see taking the same model with, uh, into Miami, let's find three clubs in Miami. And when I say clubs, it could be golf clubs. It could be, you know, firing ranges, boating clubs, yacht clubs. Uh, we're, we're really interested in creating, a um, sort of a network of unique experiences. And so the magic number seems to be three. Uh, and we try to put them in diverse locations of a city. So no matter where you are, you've got something nearby. But yeah, we, we feel like we could expand this model to Puerto Rico, New York, uh, Austin, Toronto. We'd really love to see this become an international network over time. So what I like about the Lala Yenda project and how you guys are approaching it is that you're not waiting for the funding to actually have a product on hand. From what I understand, you already have the liquid, like the Blanco is pretty much there. Obviously the Reposado, I think it's like next month is going to be ready. And then uh, obviously the Añejo would come after, but that's what I like about seeing this space evolve is that we're seeing more NFTs that rely on utility and also real world experiences and are not just like, you know, a funding round to, to get the project started. This is something that's been in the works for a while, right? I think uh, Alex mentioned that this was even scheduled to be launched before COVID, but then COVID happened. Yeah, that is correct. And then I got COVID and then it got delayed even more. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit more about that if, if you don't mind? Well, you know, COVID struck in 2020 and uh, December 2020, I got COVID myself, the real bad one. I got hospitalized, intubated, I was into a coma and... Uh, then, because of the intubation, they broke my uh, windpipe, and they I got into surgery. It's, it's I think it's called tracheotomy. Mm -hmm. They cut eight centimeters of my windpipe, and they saw me like I was like this, my chin to my chest for three weeks, and it was horrible. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an experience that uh, I barely made it, and uh, the recovery process was uh, very hard for me. And it was the time when. When I approached to Tom and, and he and I, he said, we have to do something about this. And uh, that's how the journey started. But I, I, I'm going to let Tom say his joke about, uh, about my... No, I, don't, I don't mean to make light of it. it was, yeah, no, I, I don't mean to make light of it. But, um, uh, you, know, you know, Alex is, is not just a business partner. He's my brother-in-law. And I've been married to his sister for 20 years. So, um, you know, Alex... Um, you know, he was out in a coma for about a week. And it was during that time, the whole family was just trying to grasp reality. And the reality was very few people come out of a situation like that. And if they do, they don't come out 100% quite often. And so we were preparing for the absolute worst. Uh, but on Christmas morning, when, uh, when he um, 
when he was risen, <laughs> we, uh, we were so excited, of course. Uh, it was the best, um, it, was, it was just the best thing that could have possibly happened on, on Christmas Day. And so I tease him. I say, that, you know, we, we, ever since then, we, we call him baby Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but um, not, again, not to make light of it, but, but really because it was, it was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle that, A, we got him back. But got him back 100% as well. And in fact, I'd even argue that he, he came out of this with a sense of wisdom and a sense of appreciation for life that he didn't have going in. So you might say it enhanced him in, in a way. But, but yeah, that was, that was a time when I wasn't really involved in the project. But watching him come out of the hospital at about two-thirds the weight that he went in, uh, and realizing that he still had surgery ahead of him. I knew he was going to need some help keeping the business going and keeping his dreams alive. It's really important to stay mentally focused on something when you're trying to physically recover mm-hmm. from something so catastrophic as well. So I started leaning in a little bit and collaborating with him on it. It was probably just a few months later that he left the hospital when the bottle won double gold in San Francisco Spirit uh, awards. Now, oh. I'm sure your listeners don't appreciate or don't know what that is yet, but we should have Alex describe it because it is, I didn't get it when I first heard it. You know, I thought that might be, you know, something you can pay for from a magazine or something <laughs> and call yourself double gold. But to me, when that happened, I realized not only does he need help, but he's got a winner here. And, you know, might might be an extension of our Christmas miracle, I thought, you know, and maybe this would be a good opportunity to not just lean in and help, but get involved. And, and so that's what it became. That's fantastic. Alex, can you tell us a bit more about like what that double gold means? Because I do know that that's very reputable um, award from uh, SF. What does that really entail? Back then, I knew from day one that the product was fantastic. So I needed a third party to say that because I can say it because it's mine, right? But <laughs> if somebody else without knowing me at all and at a blind taste competition when, I don't know, maybe back then was, I think around uh, 600 brands participated. I just did it because I knew I was going to win something. But I didn't. I went to going to, to win the best one. Mm-hmm. So the, the story says that uh, the whole panel of judges, if the majority says this is a gold winner, then you get the, the gold medal and and some uh, it's the silver and then the bronze medal. But if the whole panel unanimously said this is a gold medal winner, automatically they give you the double gold medal. Wow! And in their words, not ours, it's even in their website. Double Gold Award winners are considered to be one of the best products of the world. So without a fancy bottle or anything like that, not even a, a, a real marketing plan behind us or anything. And I, I like the analogy that Tom once said that is like the, the Karate Kid when he won and uh, it was the underdog, right? And won the finals. It's the same for us. I never expected to win the double goal. And after that, they, they even proposed us to be one of the best mezcals in Mexico. Not only the, the double goal winner, they did another thing. We came second place, but we are among the best products of the world on their walls. So it's amazing for us to have won that. 
I've gotten to to try it myself, the Blanco, and it's fantastic. Like to me, it's it's smoother than even a Reposado of various other brands. Can you tell us about like the flavor profile, how the Blanco will differ from the Reposado and then eventually the Añejo? Absolutely. I mean, the, just remember this, the, the, the Blanco is, is right out from the distillation process. It doesn't age, it just come out of, of the distillation process. So you will get the real cooked agave flavor and you will get, we have our own recipe to, to make our Blanco. It depends on your palate, but you can taste a little bit of ripped banana and uh, cinnamon and just a little bit of vanilla and uh, apple as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, a little bit of, I want to say peppermint. I don't know if that, that's the, the right word. And that's the more or less the flavor that you will get, but very strong cooked agave flavor, which is when you will notice that this is a real agave product. Then you have the Reposado, which is in Canadian white oak barrels. Does the yellow kind of color that you will see and uh, a little bit of wooden flavor because of being rested in the barrels. And then you have the Añejo, which is a more interesting flavor because it's not only being aged at the, the white oak barrels, but we finished the Añejo on a second use barrels, French oak barrels, previously used to age cognac. Oh, but wow. when you taste the Añejo, it has this cognac aftertaste and it's really, really good. And for me, I like to call it when you have a very good meal, that's your dessert. It's, it's like a dessert. It's really it's not that sweet, but it's, it tastes like a dessert. I can't wait to taste the Reposado and Añejo. So based on what you're saying, like the Reposado, aging it in the white oak barrel, it makes it have this wooden scent. But also, does it like kind of round off the edges of the agave itself? Does it make it smoother? You, you will have the, the, the burn because it's, it's an spirit, 40% alcohol, but it won't burn as much. And the wooden flavor is just so mild because you will get the agave taste. That's very important to say. We don't overlap the taste of the agave. We want you to taste the cooked agave, aged agave, and with a mild taste of the barrel in which was aged. And the añejo, I mean, as well, it doesn't overlap the agave taste because we want you to taste the, the cooked agave. But the final touch of the French oak barrels, probably used to age cognac, gives it this great aftertaste on the back of your palate. It's not very predominant. It's just there for you to appreciate it. When you have a product as pure as yours, it's kind of like when you're having a great steak, you don't need to season it like crazy. You let the meat speak for itself. I totally get what you're saying, because when I tasted the Blanco, I could taste the agave itself and I didn't need all these extra sizzling sparks and whistles to make it dance in my mouth. Like the the pureness of the product is already fantastic. So really props to you guys for the product. No, thank you. I I think um, everybody has their preference, of course. What I what I tend to see is that the traditional whiskey drinkers uh, gravitate more to the Añejo, the more barrel flavor. They'll definitely recognize those hints. Um, What I find interesting is, you know, the reason why a lot of these uh, tequila celebrity brands, the the reason why they're designed, um, quite frankly, in a laboratory, the way they're 
they're made today with a lot of infusions and vanillas and sugars that overpower the agave. There's a myth out there that agave is in its natural form and its pure form is harsh, that it's got a bite to it. And so tequila and smooth, you know, particularly in Blanco, aren't terms that really go, you don't hear about a smooth Blanco very often. Mm. Well, now with the celebrity brands, you start seeing people calling it smooth. Well, what it is, is sweetened, right? Now, what I mm. think that excited me and, and the judges as well is that, you know, you, you put this Blanco in there that's not sweet, but it is smooth. And that's what got their attention unanimously. That was the, that's the shock value when people have it. They, they think, okay, I'm going to take a small sip because it's Blanco and it's probably going to sting me. And then they anticipate it to either be smoky because it says mezcal or sweet because it's marketed in the U.S. And we're doing none of those things. And so it's really a, a surprise to people when they first sip it. Wow. And it was a surprise for me as well. I can't wait for other people to be able to enjoy these bottles. So when are you expecting to, to launch these memberships and, and when can people expect to, to be able to get their hands on the product itself? Yeah. So uh, October 31 is the Blanco and Reposado drop. So we're doing 1000 Blanco, 500 Reposado. And then we want, so we want to get, we want to get our community, right? Sipping these, enjoying those. So we're leaving a month gap so that people can get their hands on those, understand the product. Because if you understand that base, particularly the, uh, the Blanco, then you're going to understand that, oh, I'd love to try this in Añejo. And so I think that that's, that's why we're going to give it this gap so people fully appreciate. So when we drop the Añejo on, at the end of November, people have had that experience already. They know why they're buying into it. Now, we've already talked about the Añejo NFT being a lot, you know, just having a lot more utility in it because it's going to access the network and such. So it is going to be uh, significantly more expensive than the uh, Blanco and Reposado. So I think it's important that before that drops, people have bottles in their hands. They're feeling the community. They're, they're experiencing not only the product, but engaging in the community virtually, right? We're going to be hosting sippings and hosting educational uh, seminars. And I think that that month of, of November is just going to be uh, a lot of fun. Uh, there's going to be a lot of anticipation built up and we're only doing 250 of the Añejo NFTs. So I anticipate that that month of November is going to be the, the, the real moment in time where communities all super pumped about it. Can't wait for that. And um, if we expect a November mint for the Añejo, people could probably get their hands on a bottle like before Christmas, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The day you mint, you'll be able to go to the online retailer and purchase, allow probably a week to 10 days for shipping. And, and that ships worldwide? That's correct. Yes. Awesome. Uh, looking forward to, to getting mine for, uh, for Christmas. Yeah, that's right. Well, guys, uh, this was a lot of fun. Just wanted to say thank you. And also, like, I wanted to acknowledge you guys for what you're doing in the space because this is a new technology. It's a new kind of platform to launch projects on. But you guys are really at the forefront of what I like to see as innovation too, because it's not only enabling the creator, the artisan to get the benefit from the project itself, but it's also getting people educated about like what's what's a real mezcal and, and why does it matter to have something full term, not necessarily just blue agave, but full term blue agave. So props for that. Thank you guys. Awesome. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Martin. 
That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please consider leaving a review for me. Um, it's always super helpful to get that kind of feedback uh, of what I'm doing right, what I could improve. And uh, so if you can take 13 to 35 seconds of your time to share some thoughts with me, I really appreciate it. Thank you again for listening. And uh, until next time. <laughs>